Okay, so ready with your family. I'm Hendrik, and I'm coming to you from Cape Town today. I'm sitting here with uh, Latim Gabriel. And uh, he, of course, is a singer uh, based in Cape Town and wrote the, and performed the very first Pride song in South Africa uh, for Pretoria Pride two years ago. Welcome to Gaysa Radio, Lathi. Hi, thank you for having me. So you've just had a new song come out. Um, it's been some time in the works and finally it's out and we've uh, featured it on Gaysa Radio and given it some airplay. Tell me more about the song, where it comes from. The song was originally done in, a, in my, my resting genre, which is very indie alternative sort of rock but I wanted to, I wanted to try something a bit different um, so I redid the song it's called Seed of Unease and it's essentially a conversation between older and younger self and it's about trying to address the source of one's issues I guess you know and kind of going back to where it all began which I found very therapeutic at the time I think I was going through a period where I needed to have a conversation with my younger self and I needed to find, I needed to be able to understand, forgive and let go and um, deal with the fears that, that one carries with one, you know, that gets hardwired into you at, at a very young age. So that was my inspiration behind the song. And I, I it was included in my first EP, which I launched in 2017 as well. And then this year I did a, I did a retake on it. So I kind of funked it up a little bit, gave it a bit of a dance bed, and it was a really fun process. It, it, yeah, it was a really fun process. I took my time with it. I wasn't in a rush to release any new music, particularly last year. But I'm, it's a piece of work that I'm really proud of, and I'm very happy to put out there. Is it therapeutic every time when you create a, a new piece of music, or was this one just that's the, the, the process you had to go on? <clears throat> no, I think, well... As an artist, I guess there's always there's always a sense of catharsis when you are particularly writing your own stuff. Artists are just, you know, I think narcissistic. <laughs> so we gotta be something deep and something meaningful. But I think this in terms of the creative process of writing, it's also really fun to just write something that doesn't have deep meaning, something that, that doesn't speak to a broken soul <laughs> or a broken relationship. You know, sometimes it's fun to just sit back and just write something that's that's fun and silly and, and enjoyable to listen to. And uh, and that's, that's something that I've started venturing into myself over the last two years because I was always writing things that was very cathartic and very sort of like confessional and honest and, and soul-exploring. And I think you, you get bored of it after a while <laughs> you really get bored of your own voice and you get bored of your own process and uh this for me was was just kind of trying to get out there um i don't think i'll ever be able to completely abandon my style of writing it's always going to be very sort of stream of conscious very confessional very um i think uh what's the word i'm looking for loquacious <laughs> very conversational but I do enjoy venturing out there and trying new things I'm currently working on another track which is very South African house flavored um, I've always been a big fan of, of house music particularly South African house and I've always wanted to do wanted to explore that you said you you didn't make new music for a while why why is that I didn't make new music for a while because I think I was going through a depression I think that uh, because two years before that I was working really hard um, at my craft and I was seeing quite a lot of gains um, and I felt very blessed. But then I think I was burnt out after that. I think last year I was just going through a period of just burnout and I was, I was exhausted emotionally and mentally. 
and I needed to I needed to recuperate and uh, I needed to get off social media and I needed to disconnect from the pressures of trying to be successful at your craft, you know. And then, of course, there was some family stuff as well. There was a lot of family drama and I just needed to collect myself. So I wasn't putting out any... I was writing a lot of music last year, but a lot of it was, was a period of self-exploration again. I was exploring different avenues of writing, different styles. But just besides the music, just sitting back and, and reevaluating my life and, and the purpose behind it. And, and I think when you suffer from burnout, no matter what you do, there's a period when I think you just got to sit back and think, is this still what I want to do? Is this still what I love doing? Can I get that passion back for it again? And I think it's, it's important questions to ask yourself, no matter what your, your art is in life. So we'd be very keen to know what the answers are to all those <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, uh, I think... Well, by virtue of me having released this this new song, it's definitely something I still want to do. I'm passionate about music. My father was an artist. He wasn't a singer, but he was a painter. My grandfather was a radio personality back in the day when I think they only had like one frequency. <laughs> he was a singer as well. So music has always been um, music's always been in my family's blood. We have this joke that we somehow related to the Beyonce Knowles because my family's surname is Knowles. <laughs> No, it's definitely, I'm, I'm passionate about music. I think that it's good to sometimes just take a step back and just kind of reevaluate what the meaning of what you're doing is to you as opposed to what it means to other people. And I think we sometimes make the error of getting lost in the system and we start doing things for other people and we're not doing it for ourselves anymore. And I think that was something that I was struggling with. I felt that I was required to meet a whole bunch of expectations out there, particularly within the South African music context, which has very few avenues. Mm. We're not a country that celebrates a wide spectrum of styles of music unless it's international. But when it's homegrown, there isn't a lot of space or room for mm. it. Isn't that why a number of South African artists are making huge name for themselves outside the country I and nobody so. here knows who they are? And nobody, I mean, definitely, I mean, if I look at Nakane, I mean, Nakane was, Nakane was doing pretty well for himself, but he was also being blocked in a lot of ways, I think, particularly with, you know, the death threats that came after the documentary. And he was like, and I'm pretty sure this is probably what he was thinking, was like, hey, you know, my own people aren't supporting me, I'm Aria, mm. you know, and he's doing amazing for himself, you know, overseas. And you're absolutely right, Hendrik, that's definitely an inviting option, I think, you know, is to go out there. Because if you, if you don't fit within whatever's trending at the moment, then... It's really difficult for you as an artist if you are outside of a different genre. Which brings me to a long-standing issue that I've had with radio stations, is that I feel that they have a certain responsibility, a certain social responsibility to listeners. We understand, I understand the reality so that you've got to, you know, you've got to get your listenership up. And this is what the listeners want to hear, so this is what you're going to play them. But my philosophy is that if you keep feeding something, someone the same thing, that's all they're going to know <laughs> what to eat, you know. And I think that it's, it's I think that, that radio platforms, uh, music platforms, I think they have a responsibility to, to give people credit, mm -hmm. you know. Give people credit that maybe they are interested in listening to something else if you just give them a chance. You know? Isn't that what the internet's doing, though? Is it's, it's freeing us from those old spoon-feeding ways of yeah. this is what you're listening to, this is yeah. what you're watching. 
And we now take that power back going, I'm going to choose what I watch God on Netflix God bless internet radio, you know, yeah. because they don't have those kind of pressures, I think. And mm. I think they have a lot more freedom to support mm. different kinds of genres and artists. So would you also use the internet to, to try and infiltrate the rest of the world and see? Definitely. I think, I think, I think the internet is a powerful tool. Mm. I mean, if it, even, even, uh, I say normal radio stations, lack of a better term. Even they have online streaming platforms. Mm. So the internet is definitely the space you want to be in when you're doing this sort of thing, you know. And it's great because if you've got a if you've got a artist profile up there or a personality profile up there, you can link to you can just link really really easy to all these different online streaming platforms to play your music. So it's definitely the the way to go. Where are you going next? <laughs> what is your, your plan now to get this music career up and running again? Well, it was always running. In well, it was just taking a slight so sojourn. You know. <laughs> that means it was on pause for a while. So you got to press play It again. was on pause for a while, it was. <laughs> but I'm excited more than ever now to be back in the ring. And it's, I mean, I've, I've networked with some great South African talent. I had a really wonderful time at Pride. I seem to be becoming the poster boy for Pride ah. in South Africa. <laughs> I wasn't going to do, just on a side note, I wasn't going to do Pride this year. I said, oh God, no, I did Pride the last three years. <laughs> I'm doing it this year. And then uh, Matthew Van Us called me the director of Pride and he's like, what would Pride be without you, Lazim? And I felt so strong-armed. I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I got to, I got to hang out with, with Craig Lucas, and I got to hang out with Jimmy Nevis, and um, I even had Jared Ricketts coming backstage, and it was a lot of fun. It was, it was great fun. I bumped into you, mm-hmm. you know, so it was, it was great. So where I was, where am I going with this now, right? So I'm literally taking it each step at a time. I'm not planning too far ahead in the future. I've realized since my burnout, and, and I think the reason that I can identify and am so sensitive to burnout is because I worked in the NGO sector for close to 10 years, and 10 years is a long time to be in the NGO sector. I mean, they have such a huge turnover rate because of burnout, you know, it's real. So at this point, I'm taking it one step at a time. I'm happy to have released this new single, uh, which I've gotten a bit of exposure for. It's also going to be playing in every single pep stores across the SADAC region, (laughs) which I'm really chuffed about. (laughs) And I've got a, so after Ramadan, I've got a jazz event that I'm doing on the 7th of June. It's at the Odomolan Eco Village, and it starts from about, three o'clock so check that out on social media it's called the sundowners jazz event at the odomolan eco village in pinelands and then we'll just see we'll take it from there i mean i'm constantly making new music all the time i'm very excited to be recording again this new song that i'm doing and um i'll just yeah keep everybody updated about what's happening and and things like that. If people want to get the song, where do they go? Well, the song is available on iTunes. It's available on Google Play. It's available on most major platforms. And But it'll be available in about a week or so. Yeah. So iTunes has this thing with a... They take like forever to <laughs> process your music and audit it and eventually like give it a stamp of approval. So... Yeah, so so give it a week. It'll be available on all the major platforms. I'm here in uh, Cape Town, uh, sitting here with uh, Latheen Gabriel. And it's tomorrow, the middle of Ramadan. 
Yes, that is correct. And I never knew that in the middle of Ramadan there is some function plan. In the middle of Ramadan, on the 15th day of fast, uh, traditionally we call it Buba night. So for those who don't know what Buba is, it's a kind of warm pudding that looks like milk. <laughs> but it's got vermicelli in and it's got sago in and some cinnamon and it's made of like rose water and milk and it's just really delicious. Google it. It's Buba. B-O-E-B-A. And so we have what we call a mass iftar. So an iftar is essentially just the breaking of one's fast in the evening. So we have a big one, a mass one. We invite like a whole bunch of people, community comes, you know, and we all just sit and we break fast together and we have this community spirit going on and it's great. Yeah. So this is what Ramadan is all about, is it? Ramadan is about a lot of things. Ramadan is, in my opinion, Ramadan is about community. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about empathy. It's about getting into the shoes of somebody who doesn't have the everyday distractions of food and water, you know, that we have. It's about reconnecting with one's creator, one's uh, sense of higher self. It's about detoxing <laughs> on a physiological level. It's about detoxing and it's a challenging experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's all about willpower. <laughs> And getting up really early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of throws your whole month around there. Yeah, it throws and, uh, you completely out there, I tell <laughs> you. I mean, some mornings you're on autopilot and you're just making breakfast. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it definitely throws you out. But it, I think it's, it's great. You know, I think it, there's fasting, in, if I understand correctly, different kinds of religious systems. You know, over the, over the ages, there's been a different kind of version of fasting for everyone. People even do it, I think, just to, to detox. It's not even necessarily for religious purposes. But I generally enjoyed having my iftars at the uh, Masjid Al-Qurba, which formerly ran as the Inner Circle, which is an LGBTI safe space for queer Muslims. And uh, we come together during Ramadan, we come together every Friday for mosque, and uh, we also break fast together. Yeah. I was going to say, this is, this is kind of weird, sitting in a space that is traditionally very anti-LGBT and exclusionary, as most religions seemingly mm. are, and to be able to sit here and go, well, this is an inclusive space. And you also said it's kind of a split-off of uh, inner circle that, that uh, this started. Okay, so when one thinks of homosexuality and Islam, I think the words that come to mind are irredeemably oppressive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's such a, a strange journey it's been for me. So I was, my dad was Muslim. My mom was Christian and they were married ecumenically like that for close to 20 years. And we all grew up Christians. There was no pressure in our household to be either or, you know, and the choice was ours. And that's how my parents chose to raise us. When I was in my early 20s, I embraced Islam because I was really close to my dad's side of the family. I was also very fascinated by the, by the religion itself. And uh, I was always drawn to, to my dad's faith. And eventually it just seemed like a natural thing for me to do. So my introduction, thankfully, into Islam was, I think orthodox, any orthodox avenue I had chosen would not have accepted my sexual orientation. It was going to have to be a queer space that was going to accept my sexual orientation and appreciate the need for one's sense of 
spirituality as well. You know, if that's something that you value, if having a connection with your creator is something you value, then it would have needed to be a space that accommodated that. And so I did. I found it through the inner circle many, many moons ago. And um, I developed a relationship. I got to see a side of Islam that I, that was compassionate, you know, contrary to what the media is showing us mm. and what the world is telling us, you know, and what the Americans are trying to <laughs> impose mm. on us, is that Islam is a compassionate religion and there's room for everyone. And if we focus on the good things, you know, if we take our egos out of this vehicle we call religion, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, whatever you want to call it, if we can just remove our egos from it and just focus on the qualities that, that it's trying to instill in us, like compassion, mercy, love, acceptance, inclusion. I think all religions teach this. But because it's always been interpreted by the ego, and might I add the ego of me, you know, it's always going to be interpreted as skew, and it's always going to be exclusive, and it's always going to deny and reject and oppress. And I mean, if religion was interpreted by women, do you honestly think that they would have chosen to be oppressed in certain kinds of cultures and societies? I don't think so. I don't think so. Or if it was interpreted by a gay guy, you know, there would have been the stoning of homosexuals. No, I don't think so. It's always an agenda. It's always a masculine agenda that's interpreting religious vehicles. And I tried to have this conversation with a guy a couple of weeks ago. And I kept saying, so do you realize that throughout history, it's always been men that's caused, you know, crap. (laughs) I really wanted to say something stronger. (laughs) And he just, he's like, yes, but those were a long time ago. And, you know, it was a long time ago and it doesn't make sense today and whatever. I'm like, yes, but but just listen to what I'm saying. It's always been men that's been causing this nonsense in the world with the interpretation of, of everything. And uh, eventually he sort of got it. So I don't think it's a conversation that guys, men in general, are having with themselves. That there's a fundamental problem with the way that men are interpreting aspects of life. You know, I mean, mm. look at politics. Politics isn't politics. Politics is personal. It's always been personal. What Putin is doing, what Trump is doing, you know, it's always been personal. The personal is the political. The micro eventually becomes the macro. And everything is just being translated, you know, and and affecting the rest of us. So, and again, it's men that are making these crazy, crazy ass decisions. It's just ridiculous. And it's all ego driven. And it's all, it's all arrogance. And it's all fear. It's fear of not having control. That's what it's all about in the end, isn't it? Control. It is. It's fear of not mm-hmm. having control, and that's what it's all about. And yeah, oh, I could go on and on and on <laughs> about about these things. But yeah. But this is a safe, inclusive space. This is a safe, inclusive space. Well, it's it's queer run, and it's queer maintained, and it's queer inclusive. It's not a gay space. It's a space that is inclusive of the LGBTI community. Mm. Anybody's welcome to come and pray here. Anybody's welcome to come and celebrate here. And I think we need more spaces like this, you know. I know that it seems as if we're moving into this age of awareness where people are moving away from the frivolous notions of God and religion and spirituality and science can explain everything. And that's fine, you know, (laughs) whatever floats your boat. But I think there's still fundamental issues that human beings are dealing with that there are no answers for. 
And sometimes it helps to be able to look outside yourself. Sometimes it helps to be able to believe in something bigger than you that can carry you through challenges and struggles. And then when you look at people that are suffering from severe loneliness, you know, suicide rates are going up. People who are who are suffering from aggression and violence and abuse and inflicting it. And, and you wonder where is this coming from? Where is all of this coming from? And I think that there is a fundamental lack of spirituality in in people's lives and i'm not trying to be prescriptive and i'm not trying to say that you know one size fits all but but seeing what i've seen and observing what i've what i've observed over the course of my life i think that there is something to be said for a sense of spirit no matter what you want to call it no matter how you want to identify it if we call it an inner voice call it a deeper sense of consciousness whatever you want to call it but i think that there's there's a lack of awareness around that within people and that's why the world's going crazy and also if marginalized people who are already on the sidelines are being pushed further out by religion then certainly people are being sort of denied that spirituality and access to that spirituality exactly so the space was was initially conceived for queer Muslims who felt that they had to choose, right, between their faith or their their natural sort of state of being, you know, their attraction to other women or other men or same sex. And the space was conceived to allow them to to be both. Mm. You can be both, you know, it doesn't have to be either or. So it's because the, the result is always the same. Queer Muslim guy or girl eventually ends up getting married or living a life of perpetual self-induced guilt. You know, because there is no reconciliation for them between their sexual identity and the spirituality and the the religious vehicle that they grew up with. It's part and parcel of their identity. And it's basically asking someone to split yourself in two, (laughs) you know, and and spaces like this allow you to be all of who you are Mm. without judgment, without fear of backlash, without critique, negative critique, you know, so... I hope that answers your question. That was the first part of the question, oh. wasn't it? <laughs> the second part was, how did this organization come about? And can I then add a third part to it? Have you had backlash from the community? Mm. This organization started back in, well, it started before my, before I, I wasn't along from the very inception. It started, I think, back in 1998. It started out in Joburg, out of Imam Muxin Hendrik's garage. It started out as a support group for queer Muslims to basically just come together and talk about what life is like <laughs> being queer and Muslim, you know. Hi, my name is and I am Muslim. <laughs> it started out like that and then it just sort of took a life of its own and it grew into what the community needed at the time, the queer community, and they needed more from the support group and then it grew to accommodate that and eventually in 2006 it got established as the Inner Circle and it opened its doors in Weinberg. And it had operated out of there up until 2000 and I think 2017. It then underwent an identity change where it went from the inner circle and started operating as the Alfitra Foundation. And I think it operated like that up until 2018, where it then underwent hierarchical structural changes and all of this stuff and, you know, just office politics and whatever. But anyway, suffice to say that they eventually split. So... 
Alfitra Foundation still runs, and they still run some of their basic uh, programs, um, self-help programs, essentially. And then Imam Muhsin also has another foundation now called uh, Al-Gurba Foundation, which essentially works on the same principle. So it's a lot of like workshops around reconciliation for sexual identity and religion, counseling sessions, it offers counseling sessions, and it runs, of course, the weekly mosque space as well for Friday Jumas. Yeah, and of course, there was a lot of backlash uh, in the initial state. I mean, Muxin was the first imam ever, I think, in South Africa to come out. And there was a huge backlash. And this was even before the organization itself was officially established. But I'm sure if you have him on your, on your show, he can explain all of that to you. But working at the Inner Circle when I did, so I was doing communications and media for them. We got a lot of backlash. I mean, we once had a truck, uh, a bucky, pull up outside the gates and all these men had guns on them, you know. Thankfully, they couldn't get inside the security gates, but it was crazy, yeah. And that was during a same-sex wedding ceremony. Oh, my God. So this poor girl's wedding was, was ruined, you know, and it was her own family. So there was, <laughs> was a huge backlash we faced already. We used to get death threats now and then. I think if we'd been in any other part of the world... I think it probably would have been a lot worse, but because Cape Town is such a laid back, I think people are even too lazy to <laughs> to protest <laughs> against something. It would have been worse. So, but I mean, suffice to say, we did get a couple of death threats, and we've tried engaging with the mainstream Muslim community many times, and it took a long time. But I think that there is, especially in Cape Town, there's a culture of tacit acceptance. So as long as you're not rocking the boat too much, I think there's a sense of... Because look, gay people are culturally a part of Catonian history, you know, and it's a rich, rich history. So we've always been there. I think we've always been seen as the, the lost labor, scandalous, effeminate type, you know, <laughs> homemaking morphies, so to speak. But, but that's all changed, you know, that's all changed. So we've always been there in some way, to some degree, and we've always been accepted into the community in some way. So there's always been this tacit acceptance of homosexuality, I think, even within the Islamic community in Cape Town. But then you will, wherever you go, you'll find your extremists, you'll find your fundamentalists, you know. But we've held out through it, you know, I mean, it's been a crazy journey, but I mean, thank God we're still alive, nobody lost their lives, and if I dare say that we've, we've actually warmed the hearts over the years to, to the intolerant, mm. you know, I think anything in life can be solved with a conversation. <laughs> I think we're too quick to react, we're too quick to, to get angry and, and jump on our, on our soapbox, you know, and be right. When I think that it really just takes a conversation between you and someone that's different to get to a better understanding of things. Well, if you want to have a conversation with this organization, you can go to their website. It's called CompassionCenteredIslam.net and there's little colons between all of them, not colons, what do you call that? Um, dashes, what is it? Uh, <laughs> Compassion-Centered-Islam.net. Go and have a look if you are interested and maybe even joining up in Cape Town. And um, we're going into Friday, but Ramadan is obviously, it's, it's not a party time for, you know, for you guys. Surely mm-hmm. you, you, you take time out from this and, and get back to hedonistic life if there is such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I definitely think that that's taken on that's that's been a powerful taken on an educational life force of its own, and it's completely mainstreamed now. You see it in movies, you see it, you see transgenderism in in television. You, it's crazy. I mm. mean, Bold and the Beautiful is even sporting, you know, transgendered people in. It's even in cartoons. I discovered last weekend. I was in Armandes, and I discovered that they have transgender cartoon characters. <laughs> I was blown away. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not really one for clubbing. I think I I kind of lost interest in clubbing a, a while ago, a good couple of years ago. I just generally sort of stick to my usual spots, you know, where everybody knows your name and and you feel comfortable and that sort of thing. But then, strangely enough, if the further deep south you go, the more kind of things change. So there's this thing in Cape Town where we believe that the deep south is a really... It's kind of like Twilight Zone. It's kind oh, of like okay. picket fences, man. The deeper south you go, <laughs> the crazier things get, man, in terms of laws of reality start to alter. But living in the deep south, you don't have these these distinctions. I never noticed distinctions between gay people and straight people on a... On a on like a, a stripped down social level, man. I mean, people don't identify necessarily as gay or straight or whatever. There's a sense of inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I lived there for, for a good couple of years and I loved it, you know. People were engaging with each other on, on human levels, you know. It was it was real, it was human. And, and sexuality was fluid. Nobody was really sort of identifying as either or. They were really just kind of going with the flow, you know what I'm saying, which... Is it necessarily a good thing on a Friday night? <laughs> but yeah. But it, it seems that, that the word queer is very much used down here as opposed to any other word that I've encountered. I mean, we talk about gay issues and mm. trans and whatever, but people seem to be very happy under the umbrella of being queer mm. and whatever that means. I think that happened when I wasn't looking. <laughs> drop the ball there but I think we just re- we started to to reinvent the word or reown the word or there's a word I'm looking for and I can't get to it reclaim oh. it reclaim yes, the word because too. it was a dastardly thing to say to somebody yes it's when queer. I was small yeah. Yeah, queer was a horrible thing and I think we just started reclaiming it I think the organization started reclaiming it the LGBT organizations in Cape Town and, and we started using it as an umbrella term and uh, it seems it's easier to say than LGBT oh God, the and then alphabet. people usually oh look it lost somewhere <laughs> I have no idea what letter comes next that alphabet jeez it's ever growing hey Kanye I don't know what other letters are going to add in the veggie sexual or autosexual <laughs> so where do you go then if you if you were to go out on a typical night I generally don't go to the city I think the city is too noisy, it, there's too many lights and there's too many, there's too much movement. So I end up going deep south. So I'll end up in like uh, Bishop, Corpe, Musenberg. I love being by the ocean. And uh, I'll have a chilled evening there with some friends and stuff, you know. You can always go and park at the beach, you can go play a game of pool. And like I said, you know, people are really friendly and really welcoming that side. That's why I love it down there so much. And you can just have a conversation with anybody and anybody's willing to talk about anything with you. It reminds me a lot of Joburg Spaces, which was one of the things I really liked about Joburg is that you could strike up a conversation about anything with anybody and people would have an opinion. You know, it's not, it's, you don't get this vacant sort of automated <laughs> response. <laughs> <laughs> when you mention something important, you know, to someone randomly. And do you think Cape Town is the pink capital of Africa? Is it the pink capital? Um, 
I think it needs to live up to its name a little bit more. I do. I think it has a responsibility to live up to its name as the pink capital. Because it's not just about parties and it's not just about the fun, you know. It's about other things as well. And for some reason, it's always pride that sort of like offers the opportunity like once a year to have this awareness about the other issues, you know. And meanwhile, you've got other organizations during the year who are trying to raise awareness. But I think these kind of things should be happening. And call me like, uh, yes, I am an activist to the core. <laughs> but and you can call me militant. I don't care, right? But I think spaces like clubs, for example, you know, clubs, queer restaurants, queer businesses, you know, queer private owned businesses. I think they should also create some sort of awareness around social issues within those spaces. Look, I mean, gay people are coming out younger and younger these days, right? They have boyfriends and girlfriends on school. I never had that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And where are they going to be amongst their own people? They're going to clubs, right? And this is the introduction into queer life. It's It can be cold, it can be violent, it can be incompassionate, and it will spit you out, Mm -hmm. you know, when the liquor license comes to an end. (laughs) 4.30. So I think these spaces, we can't change them, we're going to change that in a day, you know. But these spaces, I think, should take some sort of social responsibility in creating awareness around things. For example, have a couple of pamphlets out there to places where you can deal with your with your identity you know have a couple of pamphlets have some brochures you know have some posters up in the bathrooms we all know that we're spending most of our times in the toilets in those clubs so have your posters up there and do that little bit to create awareness because it's more than just i mean yes it's fun we forget about the problems and stuff when we are parting but we're going home back into those spaces again where we are being oppressed and we are being devalued. And I think that if we can just create some sort of support structures within these private-owned businesses, like clubs, for example, I think it would make such a difference. Mm. I honestly do. There we go. We've solved all the issues. <laughs> Gays, mate. Yeah, Nadim for president. <laughs> <laughs> you just missed the ball. Sorry. <laughs> There we go. Well, there's always good things to happen in Cape Town. Lots of places to go to, lots of things to see. So come and join us and come do some spotting and see if you can spot Latheem in some famous bar. <laughs> and connect with me. And connect, connect with me, Kanala. Yes. So Latheem, I know a lot of people have trouble saying my name. So when I do shows now, I generally make people say my name by syllable. <laughs> La theme. So I'll make them repeat it a couple of times because I've gotten some crazy feedback. You know, it's love him. It's Ladim, it's Lucene, it's all kinds of stuff. So grab me on social media, guys. Ladim Gabriel. It's L-A-T-H-E-E-M. Ladim. And uh, let's connect. Yeah. There we go. And of course, uh, your music is on Gaysa Radio. Remind us of the name of the song. Seed of Unease. Seed of Unease. Mm. It is there. You can listen to it right here on Gaysa Radio, where you are family.